in a world where every diet you know is wrong. Well, not every diet. I mean... Yes, but almost every doesn't sound as good. Yeah, but... Shut up. One man stands alone. Well, not completely. I mean... It's time for Adam Martin, the No Breakfast Guy. And let's talk fast. Fasting, fitness, and fat loss. What's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, more commonly known as the No Breakfast Guy. And I hope you're doing what you love with the people that you love. And let's just jump straight into it. So today, I think is going to be something quite different to what I've had on the show before, but um, or talked about on the for, um, show before. Um, it's certainly a topic that I think is very prevalent these days because of, um, I guess, social media and shows like Master Chef and Iron Chef and all these kinds of um, shows that we see. But um, I have Michelle uh, on the line with us today, and she is a food stylist and a recipe designer, um, amongst, I'm sure, many other skills that she has. But um, I thought I'd get her on today to kind of talk about that industry and kind of what it's all about. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning. Um, did I introduce you correctly? Is that what, I mean, if you're on, you know, you're going through immigration at uh, an airport and you've got to tick what your profession is, is that kind of what you would say or how would you introduce yourself or kind of say that what you do? Yeah, it's a really tricky one what I do because it isn't, you know, it's not really a tick a box type of um, uh, job description. But yeah, that's pretty much it. And so, I mean, Obviously, we'll get more into that um, as we get into the um, podcast today. But you know, for everyone at home who doesn't know who you are, or kind of, I guess, where you got into this industry, or how you got into that, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, I guess, yeah, where it has your story to it is uh, today. So, yeah, I live in Tasmania in the beautiful Huon Valley, and uh, with my family, I've got two kids and my husband, and I um, work. I run my own business working sort of as a food consultant, I guess. So most of my um, time is spent uh, writing recipes or developing recipes for clients, um, styling uh, for food photo shoots and also shooting, being the photographer as well as the stylist, depending on what the job is. And I also do a bit of consulting for food-based businesses um, down here and I do a little bit of social media, newsletter writing for, for food businesses as well. So sort of lots of different hats. I think um, you're a little bit too, uh, what's, what's the word I want to kind of say? Um, I think when you say I do a little bit of social media, I'll put your details obviously in the show notes that um, I highly suggest people go and give you a follow or go and give a look at your um, page because, yeah, I wouldn't say you just do a little bit. Your, your social media page is a beautiful page and it's what kind of stood out to me and why I made contact because your ph- photography and obviously the skill set you have is um, very, very good. And so, yeah, to anyone looking in, it's not just a little bit of social media. You, you, you're far better than just taking a photo of something and putting Definitely. it up there. <laughs> That's um, fine. Thank you. So, I mean, how did you come into this industry? Was it something that kind of just you, you always love food or always around it? You always love taking you know, um, photos or was it something completely different and just stumbled across it? Um. Yeah, so I we I lived in Sydney for 25 years or something, um, but I'd always been really passionate about food and loved reading about it, loved cooking at home. But I worked in fundraising um, for a arts organisation in Sydney and worked uh, special events and uh, not really in the food industry at all. 
um, then when my daughter was born, um, we, me and my husband thought, oh, we really don't want to live in Sydney anymore. We're looking for something different. And I wanted to work in food. I just thought, I, you know, I'm, I've spent my whole life dreaming and talking and cooking and reading and wanting to work in food. So now's the time to take the leap. I think when you have a child, you sort of have a, a year off work or six months or whatever, and you have a bit, time, a bit of time to sort of sit and reflect on what you want to do and where you want to go in your life. Um, so that's when we decided to make the move to Tassie. I thought that it's such a great um, food producing area. It's the perfect location to sort of set yourself up um, to work in food. So I came down here with a little baby and my husband and we um, I just signed up for some of the TAFE courses, um, just some basic kind of cookery skills. And I started a um, market store with a friend and we, we started baking cakes for the local um, farmer's markets. Amazing. So every weekend we'd be, you know, up at dawn baking hundreds of little cakes to sell at the farmer's market. Um, and they, the cakes got a lot of attention. Um, and What kind of flavours would you normally uh, produce? We were really um, inspired because Tasmania has a great fruit growing industry. It's a cooler climate, so we get amazing berries, the apples, of course, um, the stone fruit. So we were really inspired by what was in season. So if it was strawberry season, like we'd have lots of strawberry-flavoured cakes or if it was the winter and there's not so much fruit around, we'd be looking at more of the chocolate and the quinces and the pears. And so it was very much um, seasonal what we were creating and I think that's why people loved our cake so much. And because of it, it's, um, it's a bit of a, I don't know what the right word is, that shared economy there's down here there's always abundance of backyard fruit that people have and there's all so people are always swapping produce so people would give us a bag of something from their backyard walnuts or something and then so we'd turn it into cake and then we'd give some of them the cake in exchange or, oh great yeah yeah so um yeah it was um it was they were very much uh, tassie seasonal inspired cakes and i think that's why people love them so much yeah um, and that sort of there was a stallholder there um, at the markets that we used to attend who was writing a cookbook and um, one day he said, do you want to come and help cook? So I started, um, that was about 12 years ago now, I, um, there was a big photo shoot, it was a week and I was the cook. So when, you, when there's a photo shoot, there's a, usually a few people involved. You have the photographer you have the prop stylist, so they bring all the plates and the backgrounds and the linen nap napkins and the cutlery and they have all the elements that you see in the photo and then you have the person cooking, the home economist, so their job is to buy all the ingredients, bring them to the shoot and then prepare all the food. So I was that person. So I did that for a few months and then... Um, and was that an enjoyable job? I mean, now you're getting paid to kind of cook things. Yeah. Is that something you really loved? I couldn't believe it. I loved it. It was something I'd always wanted to do and I was always really um, curious about the industry and, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe I was pinching myself. This person wrote a column for a, a food magazine so it turned into a regular gig. Um, every couple of months a photographer would fly down and we'd shoot 10 recipes um, over two days and um, one day the food, the stylist was sick she couldn't come and they said, oh, Michelle, we think you'd be really good at doing food styling. Why don't you give that a crack this month? 
and then that was that. The rest, as they say, is history. And was that in combination with cooking? So on that particular shoot, you were both cooking and doing the styling. No, they got someone else. Thank goodness, because it's <laughs> it's a pretty hard job doing both. I can tell you, especially because you've got a really short time frame. It's like we've got to smash out ten recipes today, and um, yeah, you can't do it on. You can't smash out that many um, images just by yourself. And to that point, when because um, in my head. Uh, I mean, I'd like to talk to you more about this, whether it's on air or off air, but um, I've got an idea to create the kind of the no breakfast guy recipe book or cookbook or something, whatever it might be, or um, part of a monthly newsletter or something like that. I've always thought like, how many recipes can you get done like properly in a day? Like to actually have it, cook them, photograph it, get it all done. Is 10 like really pushing it or is, could you do more if you really had to? Like what, where does that kind of usually be? And it, it, it depends on lots of different things. It depends on the team you're working with um, and it depends on the complexity of the recipes. Um, so if it's if you've got three people, um, so if you've got the food stylist, the photographer and the, the um, cook, you could probably 12 to 14, as, as long as they're fairly simple, yep. is a reasonable amount to do. Um, and, and, yeah, and it depends on their skill set as well. So I've worked with some home economists who rock up to the photo shoot everything's chopped up and prepped they're ready to go um you know so everything's really quick and then sometimes you rock up to a photo shoot and somebody's late and they've just been to the shops on the way and it's chaos and it takes a few hours for everyone to get sort of um get started and you're sort of wasting a couple of hours getting organized so it does depend yeah on the people that you're working with i think that's that's a probably a professional figure you know, but if you're if you're new to it, you know, I reckon four or five, or if you're doing it on your own, four or five is probably a bit more of a realistic number. Yeah, okay. Um, and to the both industries, which one do you kind of prefer? Or I mean, are you still doing a bit of both, or you just now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of you know, Tassie's pretty small, and we don't have the big companies up down here that have you know big budgets to throw at um, photo shoots. So when Quite often I'm doing both and that's, it's, you know, it's it's a busy time, but that's just how you have to roll down here, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when, when kind of looking to design a recipe or kind of come up with a recipe, you kind of, do you take inspiration from things that you've eaten or you've seen or is it kind of like I remember when I was a child I had this walnut and apple muffin and I think I can make it better. Like where do you kind of start designing a recipe from? Yeah, that's pretty much a big part of it. Um, luckily, usually you're given, for, I mean, if it's for a client, you're given a brief. So say for instance, okay, we're doing our Christmas theme this month. You know, can you come up with five barbecue Christmas recipes? Um, so that gives you a good starting point. And then you think about what season that might be. So Christmas, it's great. Okay. So there's going to be, you know, lots of uh, tomatoes and, you know, all those um, vegetables that are in season at that time and that gives you a good framework and then you think about what am, am I doing breakfast am I doing lunch am I doing you know nibbles for a party what's the what am I actually trying to create and once you've got those building that that sort of framework in place it's actually not difficult to come up with a recipe um, generally and then Quite often, yeah, whenever you're eating out or you see a recipe and or if you think of a flavour combination, I always keep notes and go, oh, yeah, that was a really good idea. I really loved how that looked. If I'm eating out, 
at a restaurant or a cafe and I see and I'm eating something I really like, I'll often take a photo not to put on Instagram straight away but just to remind myself um, I really liked the way that looked or that flavour combination or that texture, um, how that all came together. So, yeah, drawing inspiration from all sorts of things really. I always think of... um you know, like food critics or movie critics or now even kind of your kind of profession coming to mind as well. Is like, can you ever go into a restaurant now without having your kind of business hat on or are you always kind of the phone's at the ready or the mind's at the ready and does your husband or friends kind of like, oh, God, Michelle, no, put your phone away. We're not taking photos here today. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much. But it depends. Like if I'm just going to the local pub for uh, you know, a palmy with my family, I can relax. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't need to take a photo of the palmy. I know what they look like. So generally, yeah, a bit of both. Depends on that situation. And so, I mean, you, you said 12 years ago that you moved down there, was it? Or was it even longer than that? Uh, 2004. Well, 15 was. years ago then also? Yep. yep. And, I mean... I, I myself, and I've, I've told this story before, when my daughter was one year of uh, age, we disappeared and took a year off to go and live in France. And it was kind of, the, yeah. it was a time in my life that kind of, I guess, in, allowed me the mental space to kind of come up with the whole no breakfast guy thing that I've done over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, a lot of people at the time told me, you're an idiot, what are you doing? You've just had a child, you shouldn't be taking this time off, you should be settling down, you know, continue with you. When you decided to move down to um, Tassie, was was there any kickback from family, or they like, no, this would be the best thing you'll ever do, go and do it? Like, where were where were everyone else at at that time? Um, pretty much the same response that you got, um, especially because I always say, yeah, we decided to move to Tassie, and we had no no job, no money, and no idea. Like it was just <laughs> we sort of we we went there to visit friends in October. 2004 and by the 1st of December 2004 we'd moved we'd packed up and we'd arrived with wow. a shipping container with all our stuff going <laughs> well, yeah, like what are we going to do but I think it's throwing yourself in that sort of situation is the best thing you can do because it makes you it makes you scared and it makes you vulnerable but it also makes you creative and it makes you get out of your comfort zone and do some really cool stuff and I think moving to Tasmania was the best thing for all of us that we ever ever did because it's led to so many amazing opportunities that just wouldn't have happened if we'd sort of stayed in our comfort zone in the city surrounded by friends and family with regular jobs. And, I mean, has it been something that, I mean, have any family now come down to you as well or you're kind of still there, I mean, on your own? I'm sure you've met people and friends and things like that that you've made down there now. Or is it, um, um, do you find yourself coming back to Sydney um, still or where are you at now? We do. Um, my husband has a really big family, so we often we try to get up there, you know, once or twice a year. Um, I think a lot of people now are envious, especially so. Two thousand and four, Tassie had still hadn't kind of uh, wasn't enjoying that um, the popularity that it is now. Sort of. So when we were moving down there, people were going, "Are you nuts? Like it's crazy! <laughs> what the heck? Like don't move. No one lives in Tasmania. What's?" But now people are, because it's sort of going through this, you know, bit of a boom at the moment and lots of fantastic things happening down there. I think a lot of people are envious, but it, it is hard. Um, I think a lot of people would like to move down here and they love the idea of it, but they're sort of locked into their life in the city and it's not the right time. But, yeah, yeah I think 
No one has moved down and followed us, but I think a few of them wouldn't mind. Giving you a go. <laughs> yeah, but for, you know, kids in schools or, you know, whatever. And for, and for those um, who don't know, and I'm certainly one of them, the Huon Valley, where is that in Tassie? So that's, um, it's about half an hour south of Hobart and um, it runs, the, the Huon River runs through it and it was, um, a re- it was one of the biggest apple growing areas um, in Australia probably 100 years ago. So it's um, still evidence of that. It's a very green, it's a very lush valley um, and, yeah, big apple growing industry and lots of timber as well. So there was, of course, the uh, hue and pine is from this region. So, it, um, yeah, so it's a really picturesque, if not cold part of yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean even in the peak of summer I think most people are, or on the mainland at, uh, at least will say even us Melburnians will probably say even the middle of summer you guys are pretty chilly down there so yeah 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 I think we had snow here last week oh, on the mountain so <laughs> not where we are but up on the mountain yeah it was a bit chilly um so to to I guess your daily life I mean kind of what does it include usually I mean you're you're more of a consultant, so I mean, obviously, you'd be getting called upon to say, "Hey, we've got a job here, we've got a job there." But I mean, what's an an average day when Michelle wakes up in the morning? What do you kind of from go to woe? What what's it kind of look like for you as a as your kind of role? Well, it, yeah, because I work freelance, I guess it, it does. Every day is different, and it depends what if I've got a job on. So if I'm say I've got a shoot coming up, I'll be prepping for that, and that might be um, it might involve. Um, uh, testing recipes, so um, you know, going out, getting ingredients, testing them. It might, um, it, if I'm going on a shoot, it means loading up my car with um, truck, like milk crate after milk crate of props, all wrapped in tissue paper and lots of ingredients, just jamming my car full of stuff <laughs> and heading to the location wherever the shoot is. Um, and then, um, yeah, working on out out on location. Um, that's probably one of the fun things, fun part of the job. Uh, it, the unpacking's not, but um, yeah, yeah taking <laughs> stuff and, and working on a location is really good. Um, or quite often, I might just be at my desk writing uh, a newsletter for a client, or te- you know, writing up recipes or um, editing photos. So it's there's a lot of variation. And in between that's picking up kids, dropping off kids, taking kids, taxiing kids, cooking dinner, all those usual things that parents have to juggle. Yeah. And does, I mean, does cooking dinner of an evening kind of still feel like work because it's partly what you do or is it something you still find a lot of joy in, obviously? I have my, I have my good days and my bad days. Yeah, I think um, sometimes they're like, oh, I have to cook dinner again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I get very much the same as that because, I mean, my job usually involves talking to people for 10 to 12 hours a day. Um, and I, as I've shared many times, I, I love talking. I love talking to people and kind of hearing people's stories and things like that. So I mostly enjoy that. But, yeah, I think um, my wife sometimes gets the – the back end brunt of it if I've just had a day where I do not want to talk anymore and I'm coming home, like, how was your day today? And it's like, you know, just a grunt. Like, like, I know, I can imagine. It's so hard. Thankfully, yeah, lucky I'm married to someone who's very sympathetic and someone who loves to cook. So if I'm sort of going, oh, I can't be in the kitchen tonight, he's ready to step in and 
cook up something for dinner, which is good. Very good. Well, um, for someone who myself, um, I I love baking, um, and I love the precise work that is baking. You know, if a recipe calls for you know thirty two grams of this and forty two grams of that, that's how much you put into it. Um, yep. When you're kind of coming up with a new recipe. Do you kind of just play around with those levels or do you kind of just throw anything in? I mean, because my head just, I my OCD about cooking, because I, as I said, I really do like numbers and things like that. The thought of people just throwing things in, I'm like, oh, no, no, don't, don't destroy a recipe of kind of what it is. How do you start to kind of experiment? And I mean, I'm sure you've come up with some things that you're just like, oh, that does not work. Like, yeah. how, how do you kind of begin to kind of start um, that process? Uh, yeah, and it, it's a real challenge. I mean, baking is pretty – baking's good because it is so specific. So you can um, – you can, you know, there's basic ratios and rules um, when you're, say, developing a cake recipe. So you can sort of tweak them a little bit, but there's actually, um, you know, pretty solid formulas out there that you can follow, um, and I really like that, and I think it's great for – the people reading the recipe because it's very precise and you know exactly what um, what to do. But when you're cooking um, savoury or, or recipes or not not recipes that don't involve baking, I think that's when the lines get really blurred because I'm not the type of person who will measure half a cup of onion. Like to me, that's just just get an onion and chop yeah. it. <laughs> like, you know, or if like a handful of parsley or. I, I just can't be bothered measuring one cup of parsley like yep. I would. Yeah, and I think I like recipes where that doesn't matter. Like my handful is different to your handful, but that's not going to affect the flavour so much. Okay, yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, some people, yeah, some people really love that precise measuring if they're cooking a casserole or, a, you know, a pasta sauce. But I'm very much, um, I like to, when you're cooking, I think it's really important to taste as, and use your senses. So taste things and if you think it needs more or you think it needs less, just um, let yourself, you know, just use your instincts rather than sort of slavishly following a recipe. But but except when you're baking, because when you're baking, that's when you've got to follow the rules. Yeah. Um, and have there been any, I'm sure there's some standouts for you that have you've tried something and it was just like way off the mark? Oh, it's hundreds all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Too many to mention. Um, yeah, it's, yes. It's, but then, yeah, you just sometimes that's when the best ideas do come out too. I think that's how the brownie was invented, actually. The woman forgot to add eggs or something to the chocolate cake she was making. And it, Is that right? Yeah, and it sunk. And oh, she was glad like, oh, she what? did forget that then. <laughs> I know, exactly right. Yeah, she yeah, and that. So sometimes the best things do come out of mistakes. But yeah. Um, we had a, we had chickens. Um, we've just moved into this new house, but before we had a little cottage farmhouse with a big garden. And boy, were those chickens well fed! They got a lot of bad cake. <laughs> <laughs> nice and fluffy and plumped up, then were they? Yeah, and producing they, eggs at a good rate. Yeah, they. Oh, you got the baking powder wrong on this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean. What what is your favourite thing then? If you know you're not not having to cook for someone or some shoot or something like that, what do you like having to uh, cook on a day to day? Well, I do love making cakes as well. That's um, something I love. But oh, I, I say it again. It it just does depend on the produce. I think I would love going. I love going to the market and just going. Oh my god, look at that amazing 
tomato or look at that ama those amazing Brussels sprouts or whatever you see there and then going home and cooking. That That's kind of my favourite thing. Um, but, I, yeah, I love cooking for friends and family. I love having people over. Very casual, though. I love barbecuing. I think cooking on the barbecue is one of my favourite things as well. Oh, lovely. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm pretty as, – as long as I've – yeah, you've got someone – you've got friends or family to – eat it that's probably i'm happy to cook anything really absolutely because that's my job um and i guess this i mean what you tell me if this is a question you get asked frequently i thought it would be something that um, you would when we the public are looking at a magazine or something on tv and we see those you know beautiful i say beautiful but a uh, beautiful mcdonald's burgers that are stacked really high and you know the stylus has obviously gone in like right on town and make that. How do you guys make the foods look so beautifully perfect as they are? Like, are there some tricks of the trade that you're allowed to kind of talk about or is it kind of a hidden secret that, you know, food stylists, no, no, this is our magic that we don't tell anyone about? Like how do you how do you make them look so incredible? Well, it there is a skill to it, um, that's for sure. Um, I think um, I always love adding lots of colour, um, whether that's from and, – and using the ingredients that are in the dish. So, um, like, things that are really easy to make look good in my mind are things that have, like, say, a bowl of noodles that you can shoot from the top looking down and you can add all those delicious elements like, um, you know, bean sprouts or coriander or lemon or lime wedges. Um, I always like to um, – even like say you were doing a bowl of noodles, putting little rather than spreading everything over the top, like looking at like a little section that's got the bean sprouts and then a little section that's got the coriander and a little section that's got the lime in it. Um, the hardest thing to shoot is brown stuff and unfortunately a lot of what we eat is brown. Um, so okay. <laughs> like meat, um, curries, stews, casseroles, they are pretty ugly really and they're, they're, hard to shoot. they're the most challenging um, so do you have to try and pop that with some color like if it's curry like putting you know a big handful of green kind of herbs on it or something is that where you exactly exactly that's exactly what you've got to do and also sometimes say you're doing a chicken curry like you'll keep some of like you'll keep a little bit of chicken off to the side or um, and then add it on top at the end so it's sort of sticking out of the sauce and it's like, oh, look at that juicy piece of chicken sitting right there when it's, um, yeah. Or if you're doing a fish pie and you'll just add a little bit of extra fish sort of so you can just see that ingredient yeah. sticking out. Yeah. And I remember, I don't know, I mean, again, I'll ask you since you're in the industry, but I, I remember seeing years ago, I can't remember what I was watching or what it was from, but to kind of get the perfect coloration or cooking of a particular thing, the food that they were actually um, photographing wasn't actually like edible to the point, obviously to the photo made it look like they were using like a hairdryer to kind of make something get, you know, certain melt to it or cook to it. Like the food that you actually, we see in a magazine now, is that a completed thing that you guys could then eat after the photo shoot done? Or is it sometimes not cooked enough just because it looks better at that stage when we photograph it like yeah am, am i on the kind of right page or is that just not something yeah. that's done anymore 
There's, yeah, definitely. I guess there's two sorts of food styling. Um, so generally stuff that you'd see in, you know, a magazine or, um, you know, the taste website or the delicious website, those recipes pretty much you could eat. Like they're cooked by the group, they're plated up, and what you see is what you get. It might have a little bit of extra garnish or um, – but pretty much those um, recipes would be – um, what you see is what you get. And and even though it might have been like handled a bit by the food stylist, definitely probably would be edible. It may have been sitting around for an hour, you know, while they got the angle of the spoon right or something. Yeah. So <laughs> it might not be safe, but, but definitely edible. But then there's that really high-end food photography. You know that the classic, you know, the McDonald's hamburger that is so perfect. Yep. But, um, it never looks like that when you buy it from McDonald's. And someone has spent hours creating that burger. Um, I've done a little bit of that sort of work for a local kind of fried chicken um, joint down here and I had to make um, uh, photograph chicken burgers. And so we had, um, you know, those big plastic baker's trays full of buns. I think we had 10 of those just to search for the perfect bun. <laughs> Right. And then, and then um, we had to make – so I used lots of rubbers, you know, erasers mm -hmm. and cut kind of wedges so that you would – we'd wedge the back um, so that everything kind of didn't get squashed. So in between each layer of, say, the lettuce and the tomato and the chicken parmi or whatever it was, everything yeah. sort of had bits of – was all propped up with, you know, toothpicks and rubbers and – bits of cardboard and then to get that beautiful um like that thick slice of tomato and it's always got that little bit of um dewy beading yeah yeah so that's glycerin like you get a water spray and you you spray that glycerin and it won't move it'll just sit there and it looks like this perfect dew and yeah so that, that type of photograph so if you went into a you know your local barbecue chicken joint and you see the menu up on the wall with that plump roast chicken yep. and the perfect burger, none of that. To, sh to shoot that, even though it looks delicious, that wouldn't have been edible. To get the, the the whole plump roast chook, you know when you roast a chook, you take it out of the oven and it looks good for maybe 10 seconds and then it starts to shrink and shrink. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so when we had to do the roast chicken, we could only cook it for 10 minutes and then we had to paint it brown. Oh, right. And shove it full of... Um, tissue paper because you know it was leaking all that liquid <laughs> and then you get the blowtorch and you sort of crisp up the ends but it it was um yeah that was definitely not edible but on the photos it looked incredible and is that something you enjoy or do you prefer the other side of no I, I want to photograph something that's cooked and is something that someone's going to produce at home yeah look I enjoyed the challenge of the technical um the but um, definitely I would – I found the waste the hardest thing to deal with actually because, you know, all of that stuff had to be thrown out. Yeah, good point. But, yeah, um, I just much would rather cook something, plate it up, wow, that looks delicious, and then eat it. That is definitely my yeah. <laughs> favourite um, type of work for sure. And on those – I mean, on those particular shoots then is – I mean, who gets to eat that? Is it kind of – people just starting to put their hands up or is it – no, no, the person who cooked it, they get to take – like who, who does normally get to – eat those foods yeah it depends so if we would say we were doing a, a cookbook and we had you know to do 10 recipes a day then it all gets 
divvied up and, you know, you might give some to your neighbours or drop some stuff at friends, but definitely the team will eat it or share it out. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it, de- it just depends on the how many people are working and how many dishes. There you go. Um, I guess the most important question that we're going to have to ask you today is, well, the budding person at home then who wants to make their social media page look great with food, what are your top tips then for people who are just like taking photography of food or kind of whether that's for sure, and obviously I'm, I'm having a joke here, but like yeah. for people who, you know, do like, photographing food whether it is for their instagram page or they want to get into this industry like what do you think is the kind of key to making food look good on a on a on a behind a camera i think lighting is probably the most important thing um and using natural lighting so not shooting anything at night um under a fluoro light Mm -hmm. looking for a spot in your house near a window generally like a side light is generally the best so shooting something under natural light is probably the most um, important thing you can do when shooting food. It's all about the light. Um, and then my my number one rule whenever I'm shooting food is I always ask myself, does that look delicious? Like does it look delicious? Because generally when you're shooting food, you're trying to um, you're trying to get a call to action and that is either come to my restaurant and eat this or come to my website and make this recipe or come to my fish shop and buy this salmon. You're kind of wanting people to look at that photo and go, oh, my God, I need that in my belly right now. (laughs) Uh, That looks so good. So that's the question you've always got to ask yourself. There are so many great resources online now. It's fantastic. So lots of online courses you can do that teach you about food photography or food photography in general um, and how to manage your Instagram account. Um, so, yeah, there's it, it's incredible the amount of knowledge out there. But it, it's you just got to start, and you've just got to practice, and just keep asking yourself, does that look delicious? Like, does that look delicious? Even if it, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... as I said, uh, sharing your um, your page. I mean, I just want to jump through the phone on half of the things that you've got on your, on your page there, because they, as I said, you certainly do make food look amazing. Yes, winning. Thank you. <laughs> That's what you want. That when when you're shooting a photo and someone looks at it and go, they go, "Oh, yum!" Then you go, "My work here is done." Yeah, like, perfect. <laughs> That's I've, I've nailed the brief. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of you, you spoke onto it very quickly. You're you're currently renovating a place down there, an Edwardian home. Did you say? Yeah, so it was actually built as a bank in 1906. So it was a mass. It's a massive old bank, um, and then it was a converted into a hospital in 1945. So oh, wow. it was the local hospital for 20 years. Um, so it's been through lots of different um, uses through its hundred odd years of life. Um, so we have bought it, and we are going to turn the upstairs into an Airbnb and then downstairs in the front the old banking chamber will be like a food photography studio space. Oh, wow. And then we're living in the back part of the building. So, yes, big job, lots of fun. Um, and you shared to me off, off air that you don't currently have a kitchen though at the moment. Is that kind of being part of the renovation at the moment? Yeah, it was one of those things where we thought, look, we're just going to replace the stove. 
and because it's an old building and had been so much stuff done to it over the years, it was one of those things where you just scratch the surface and the whole thing collapses and yeah. so it turned into <laughs> jackhammers and everything being stripped out and so now we're just in that, um, yeah, we've got all the elements, we're just waiting for the trades to come and put it all together. So, so how does a, a food stylist and recipe designer um, live life without a kitchen? Yeah, it's it's killing me. I can t- <laughs> It's been six weeks because we there was a bit of transition between moving out of our old house, so we're sort of house sitting and house camping and um, yeah. And then when we were trying to sell our house, you know, when you've got it all pristine and you we couldn't actually use the kitchen because yep. home inspections and stuff. So it's been a while since I've been able to get let loose in my um, kitchen. But I'm actually thinking of writing a book or a cookbook you know, what to cook when you don't have a kitchen because it's made us, be, you know, we've had to be really creative. Um, you know, you can actually cook pasta in the sauce in one pot. We've got one little induction cooktop. Yeah. That you're <laughs> so cooking on an induction cooktop, feeding a family of four with one pot, I think that's going to be, um, yeah, I, I think there's a book in that because it is, um, or how to make a really interesting jaffle because we're eating a lot of jaffles. It's interesting that you just bring up the jaffle point because I I shared this again with you off air, but um, my my idea if um, I ever was to do it was um, I wanted to start a a restaurant or a cafe called How the Focaccia. And my idea was because one day, I don't know, I would have been 18 or 19 at the time, I was at uni and um, I worked just a retail job while I was at uni, and one of the guys at that store he bought in a focaccia that had lasagna as the filling. What? And I'm just like, what have you got there? And he's like, mate, the focaccia with the lasagna in it is the best. And then you grill it inside, um, you know, a cheese, you know, uh, uh, sandwich grill. Um, it's the best thing you'll ever have. And I was like, no. And he said, give me ten minutes, I'll get it all right. And to his credit, it was one of the best sandwiches I'd ever had in my entire life. And so my idea for the, the store was how the focaccia is that we would have focaccias that you would then fill with your ordinary dinners. So it could be the Sunday roast focaccia or the chicken parma focaccia, the lasagna focaccia kind of thing. Um, yeah. And just when you're saying, you know, kind of coming up with all different kind of jaffles, focaccias or grilled sandwiches or jaffles, yeah. however we call them. Um, yeah. That was always my idea for the store called How the Focaccia. And um, just to you, I would highly suggest, if you can, having lasagna in one of your jaffles because it was <laughs> sensational. I'm going to try that. I really love that idea. So, yes, um, get back to me and tell me how you think um, and how the family respond to having the lasagna jaffle. Well, uh, we're we're pretty um the whole you've got the whole family cooked on uh, hooked on the bre- the biscuit spread so um <laughs> the amount of attention that me bringing that to my page uh, has been is I I swear I should have taken shares out in that company because I'm sure their share prices jumped because the amount of people who'd never heard of it for one um and then like oh well, I'll go and try something you know Adam says he loves it kind of thing and and now like addicted to the stuff just as much I as I am it. so. Um, yeah, it is uh, very delicious. And are you a are you a smoother or a crunchy family? Uh, crunchy all oh, the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, um, I have been keeping it in the fridge. Oh no, I keep it in the cupboard. But but it goes. It's almost like a. It's good. It's kind of goes harder, and the crunch is more Ooh. crunchier. 
All right, well, I'll, I'll take a leap of faith. I'll throw it in the fridge today and I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Yep, yep. Um, and also to your point, you tell me when your Airbnb is done because I've never been to Tasmania um, and I'd love to come down there and um, if I get a reason to be there, then um, I'll certainly come and uh, hire out one of the uh, the rooms you have and bring my family down. Yeah, that would be awesome. That what kind be- of timeline you reckon it's going to take to kind of get your place done? Before Christmas? Yeah. 2020. Okay, I was going to say, Jesus, like 15 days away, you're doing extremely well. <laughs> no, maybe six months, we're hoping. Yeah. Well, uh, I hope you can um, stick to your timelines there and I hope it does come through because, um, yeah, as I said, if your Instagram page is anything to go by, I'm sure you're going to do a beautiful uh, job of this uh, of this house. Oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, it's lots of fun and really looking forward to having people come and see it. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you, um, you know, letting us into your world of, as I said, food styling and recipe design and things like that. As I said, I always started this podcast off as a way to kind of speak to people and kind of learn more about them and bring something that uh, might be of interest. And I always find it interesting and I hope uh, other people have as well. So, um, no, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Adam. Always a pleasure. Um, and as I always do with every guest, do you mind kind of answering my quick fire five questions? Okay. Excellent. Um, so it's basically just first thing that comes to mind when I answer, uh, ask you a question. Um, question number one, the beach or snow? Beach. If you could travel somewhere in time, would it be future or past? Past. And can I just further go and where would you go and how far back? I think I'd go to Victorian England. Interesting. Interesting. Good response. Um one food for the rest of your life. You don't have to worry about nutrition, calories, and all those things. What one food would you uh, eat if you had to have it for the rest of your life? Toast. Toast. What's on it? Uh, tomato. Sliced tomato. Sliced tomato on toast. I don't think I've ever done that. There you go. Oh, it's got to be sourdough, a bit of olive oil, salt and pepper. Oh. Good tomatoes, though. You can only eat it in summer. What kind of tomatoes? Uh just the, like the fresh t- summery tomatoes when they're in season. Okay, Otherwise, so like not a particular, like aroma or a, you know nothing in particular in a kind of as it, yeah, as long as it tastes good. Good, all right. Um, family, friend, famous, dead or alive, who would you like to have dinner with tonight? Oh, good. Oh gosh, I don't even know. Isn't that terrible? My family. Yeah. I'd like dinner with my family. Um, and number five, everyone always says obviously they would spend uh, time with their family if they were told they only had one week left to live. You've already spent that week and you're on the final day. This day is all for you. What would you do on that final day of, uh, of existence? Gosh, probably drink my wine cellar. Excellent. I think that's the exact same response my, my father would say as well. So he's got uh, a number in there that I think he's waiting to kind of open when he gets told that, you know, sir, you've got six months left to live or something like that. So is there a particular bottle in there that you are saving or is there something or is it just a lot of lovely wine in there? Yeah, there's not a lot. Like, yeah, there's probably enough for one day. There's probably five bottles of, um, you know, of decent wine that, we're saving for a special occasion. So. Yeah, I don't know what um, Dad expects because I don't drink really anymore. Um, and Dad, I think, has a cellar of 300, maybe 400 bottles of wine. 
Um, oh. And, you know, mum and dad are doing their best to try and get through that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's not going to come close. And I don't know who he wants to give it to because <laughs> I know I certainly don't want to uh, have all that wine. So um, I hope it doesn't go to waste. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, fantastic. Um, no, we've only got five. We've probably got enough for one day. Excellent. Sounds like a good way to spend that last day. Um, and Michelle, again, thank you so much for your time. As I said, for anyone who um, uh, wants to find out more about Michelle or potentially wants to hire you or whatever it might be, all of your show notes are uh, in the uh, description. Oh, sorry, I should say all of your details are in the show notes um, down below. So um, again, Michelle, thank you so much for your time um, today and kind of as I said, sharing your world with us. Oh, it's been lots of fun. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, guys, that's been another episode of the Let's Talk Fast podcast. If you have enjoyed the show, let us know. Um, but we'll be around next week. And we've got, as I said, I think this is episode 51 when I upload it, um, which will mean we've got one more episode left for the year. Um, and, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week. Have a fantastic day. Love to you all. Ciao.